Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talking Logistics, where we have conversations with thought leaders and newsmakers in the supply chain logistics industry. It's my great pleasure to welcome today's program, John Richardson, who's Vice President of Supply Chain Analytics at Transportation Insight. And today we're going to talk about preparing your data for AI, blockchain, and other emerging technology applications. Now, one of the biggest mistakes that companies often make is that they go right after, you know, these shiny new technology applications without first uh, clearly defining the business problem or opportunity that you know, they want to go after and without first getting their data in order. So why is it that companies still struggle with data quality management? Um, you know, how do you get over the change management hurdles and what are some best practices to getting the most value from emerging technologies? Well, those are going to be the key questions we're going to address in today's episode and it's great to have John on the program to share his insights and advice on this topic. So John, welcome to the program. Well, I appreciate being here today. Well, John, uh, you're a first time guest on Talking Logistics. So be before we kind of dive into the, this very timely and, and important topic, um, I always like to kind of get a sense of, you know, how and why people got involved in this crazy industry that we're in to begin with. So why don't you briefly tell us a little bit about your career path? Again, how and why you got into supply chain logistics and what your current role and responsibilities are there at Transportation Insight? Sure. You know, I, um, I kind of like to say I fell in a little into logistics and have never been able to get myself out. Um, actually, I, I started uh, with an internship at the J.B. Hunt Terminal in Memphis when I was working on my master's. And by the end of that summer, uh, I'd gotten hired on to the corporate office up in Lowell as a logistics engineer, uh, supporting new business development, doing transportation routing, etc. Um, left left J.B. Hunt Logistics and went to Walmart doing strategic distribution design. That's where I really got introduced to the strategy of it all. Um, then got into supply chain consulting, doing everything from inventory optimization to network design, just kind of, you name it, I was crunching those numbers. Did that as an independent and also for a firm. Then I joined Transportation Insight about eight years ago, uh, really to build out an, a, a more robust analytics offering for our clients um, with more of a consulting bent uh, to help them strategically with, with their networks. Well, that's a, that's a great journey. I mean, you can't do any better than, uh, you know, J.B. Hunt, Walmart, and, you know, now Transportation Insight. I mean, those are, uh, you know, certainly a, a great opportunities, you know, from different perspectives. Uh, of what's happening in the world of, of supply chain and, and logistics. And I always tell folks that I fell into, you know, this industry as well. I mean, my background being in a material science engineer. So how do you go from material science engineering and working in semiconductors to now for 20 plus years doing this in supply chain? It's a, it's kind of an interesting journey as well. But once you fall into it, it's very difficult to get yeah, out. And, can't and, get uh, out. <laughs> exactly. It's because for a lot of good positive reasons, of, of course. Um, all right. So let's get into this topic now. Like I, like I said in my opening, you know, comments, um, you know, there's a lot of conversation, a lot of focus on a lot of these emerging technologies, AI, machine learning, blockchain, and, and, and the like. Um, but, but despite all these advancements that we're seeing on, on those types of technology and technology applications, many companies still struggle with really what's foundational to make these things, you know, to get the most value from these app technologies, which is data quality. You know, so, so why, that's sort of the basic question, you know, why do companies still struggle with data quality management? Yeah, I think in general, it's because they don't have incentives and measurements around the data quality. And you look at um, where data gets captured within a company, more than likely the people that are, are keying in the data or however you're capturing it, 
um, they're probably incented on productivity and, you know, not don't have good reviews on the data checks. And I think they also really don't understand what's the downstream impact. You know, um, you know, I think about the, the item master and, and how many times in an item master you see the length, width and height is one, one, one. And while that's very, I bet we don't have that many one cube cases. Um, but then you think about what could that drive? You know, that could drive in uh, warehouse space requirements. It could drive how you're going to route a truck. Um, and ultimately, you know, if, if the ERP is feeding their TMS and they've got the wrong dimensions, they may overfill a truck and now you're causing a lot of issues on, on the dock. So I think, you know, it, it's um, just people don't really focus on how important it is. I was uh, kind of noticing on one of your articles uh, where you talked about implementing TMS and of the respondents you had in that survey, only 40% of them said master data was critical to a successful launch. And, and I think that's why people don't understand everything that it affects. Yeah, that's a great, uh, two great points there. Number one, and this is something that I've written about as well, which is, you know, who's responsible for data quality management, right? And there's a lot of finger pointing that takes place within an organization um, when it comes to that. Um, you know, number two is, to your point, you know, you, it, a lot of folks just have a very myopic view of, you know, the, the, the data and don't understand the upstream and downstream implications of it. So the example you gave of putting in just a one 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 for the dimensions, I mean, that comes into play with if, if all of a sudden you try to do drop shipping on behalf of your retail customers and you've got the wrong dimensions in there, what the products are, um, that's going to impact, you know, operations. So if you're doing, uh, or if you're taking ownership of your inbound and you're doing pickup and you try to do routing and try to create, you know, figure out how much can you fit in a trailer, but you've got all wrong, sorts of wrong dimensions, you go to go to pick, go to a supplier to pick a load up and there's no more room in the in the trailer <laughs> to fit it in there because all the dimensions have been wrong and all the planning optimization you did was off of, you know, bad data. Um, so, so I think those are two great, uh, you know, two great points. And I think one of the key issues, which kind of leads me to my next question is, you know, one of the main hurdles is, is change management. I mean, that's what we always, you know, hear a lot of, uh, you know, that is, you know, the, how do you get over that? This is the way we've always done it, you know, syndrome. I mean, I, any, any recommendations or advice on how to get over that hurdle? You know, I think, you know, at our core, people don't like change. You know, I think, you know, when you come in and, and you say to somebody, we need to change what you're doing, they, they take it kind of as a, ooh, I didn't do my job right or something. Um, and, and so I, I think we have to make change um, non-threatening and incremental. Um, you know, there, there's a concept of rewarding failure. Um, sometimes when you get into change, people are scared that they're going to fail, but hey, that's okay. You know, you got to try new things or, you know, we're not going to be different. You know, from, from my consulting days, I was always amazed um, when I'd go in and interview clients and um, on these projects and I would say, I'd ask, well, what do you think the results should be? What do you think we should do? And probably eight or nine times out of 10, they knew exactly what needed to happen. But whatever it is about our, our business culture, it's like you have to bring in a third party and have them say it, you know, for, for it to, um, for it to, to stick. Um, and sometimes it really takes people coming in and, and I'll say asking the stupid questions, 
you know, the things that in a company you just take for granted because that way's done it. Um, and, and so you have to ask somebody, well, why are you doing it that way? You know, I heard a story, I have no idea if this is true or not, but of a, uh, at a tire manufacturer, uh, they'd invested in a new wrapping machine for the tires and they were going to save all this productivity and money. And as they were rolling it out, somebody on the tour said, um, why are we wrapping tires? And nobody really had a good answer. And so they researched and, and they found out it was to protect the white walls. <laughs> and so, which they didn't make it anymore. <laughs> so I, I think it's just, you know, too often we're, we're not incented to challenge the status quo. And, and I think that's why it makes it hard for companies to change. You know, you, you said there, this is the second time you really said this, you know, incentivized to challenge the status quo. Earlier you said, you know, people are really incentivized to think about data quality management. So really, I think one of the, the key learnings I'm getting from, from what we're learning, talking right now is that, you know, there's got to be some, some metrics, some, some incentives in place where, you know, this is something that becomes part of everybody's responsibility, becomes part of the culture, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to, to really get this going, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer. People do exactly what they're incented to do. And, and people are really creative. Um, so they're going to find a way to maximize, you know, the results that they're incented to, to do. And so you have to make sure, you know, metrics across a company that it's balanced, that, that everybody's being incented to do what the company wants them to do. Right. Absolutely. You know, the, the story you just told about the, the tire and wrapping the tires uh, kind of reminded me when I was an engineer, um, you know, similar type of thing. And this one is even related to data. You know, we would do a lot of statistical process control. And I remember we would, you know, we would just get all of this data. And I remember asking one time, well, why are we measuring the temperature on this particular line? And no one knew why we were measuring you know, the, the temperature anymore um, because it wasn't really a critical type of thing. And the only thing that we could all figure out was that maybe years ago, there must have been a, some kind of a process problem or quality problem where measuring the temperature became important to solve that problem. And then after that problem was resolved, we just kept measuring it anyway, uh, even though we weren't doing anything with, with the data anymore. Um, which, again, brings me to my next question, which, you know, one of the things I often hear from a lot of supply chain logistics professionals is that, you know, we're drowning in data, right? And right now with IoT coming on the forefront and mobile and everything else, I mean, we, we arguably have more data at our fingertips than, than ever be, the, you know, before. So how do you determine which data is actually valuable and, and which one is just, you know, just noise? Yeah. So uh, I'm going to take a little bit of an engineering answer. I think I like all data. Give, give me it all. But I think where it really becomes valuable or not is, is how it's used. And, and it come, kind of goes back to my, my other earlier comment about the metric. You know, you really want to create metrics that are actionable and are going to drive your business. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of great information that, that might be nice to have. But if you're not measuring the right things and, and making it relatable across all aspects of the business, Business, um, it, 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 you're gonna going back to the incentives. People are gonna do different things for the right reason, the wrong things for the right reasons. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of um, 
CPG com companies and, you know, the plant manager, well, he's incented on the pounds of production, you know, and so his whole world is how do I just crank this stuff out? Well, and then you get to the warehouse and he's getting measured on um, cases of inventory and storage and how much he's shipping. Well, you kind of have a conflict right there because you got one that, hey, I got to maximize this. And the other one, it's like, I've got to minimize this. And so how do you work that out? Um, you know, I had a, uh, a project where um, we'd done a network design and rebalanced manufacturing lines across a network. And this one plant manager, we'd taken pounds out of his plant. Well, he had done his own analysis, flew to headquarters to pitch his case about while, why everything we had done was wrong based on what he was measuring. And it's like, well, we're looking at everything and this is a good decision. But, you know, to that end, if a company's going to make that kind of decision, they've got to make it, you know, fair to those people that are measured like that to make it equitable so you're not penalizing them for something that they didn't do. Right, right. Well, you know, I think it, it speaks to kind of the, the, you know, one of the best practices being, you know, having this balanced scorecard, if you will, it really cuts across different functional groups and organization, but I, organizations. But, but I think, you know, one of the things that we, I continue to find is that we still, op, you know, we still have this siloed, you know, mentality, as you, uh, as you mentioned. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, to paraphrase a little bit of what you just talked about, I mean, part of it is, you know, are you measuring the right things? And then, you know, number two is, you know, do, do you know what your data is telling you? So then you can take, you know, the, the, whatever actions are needed to take to drive continuous improvement. I mean, are there any other questions companies should ask to, um, you know, in terms of their data um, and to make the best use of their data? I mean, you know, what, uh, I think, what's the outcome that you want? And you, you kind of said it, if you have to measure something, if you want to change it um, and, you know, what, what's going to drive that behavior? Um, you know, I've got uh, one client and, and they've picked one measurement and it, and it happens to be manufacturing square feet because they make quart card corrugate and they relate everything to that completely end to end, e even to, um, you know, how many manufacturing square feet did I put on a truck? Well, that is not a normal, you know, transportation metric but the entire company speaks that language. And so when they talk about things being up or the cost per, they can relate it, you know, across everything. So I think it's, you know, what is that, that unifying metric across the company that is meaningful? Yeah, no, that's, a, that, that's a great point. I mean, one of the other things with data, we haven't really talked about it much yet, but maybe we could touch upon it a little bit is, you know, the fact that, hey, you know, there's data that's within the four walls, but there's a lot of data that's got to get shared with, with trading partners and others, you know, because this is, after all, a supply chain and you've got your work, you have to share data with suppliers and customers. But I think historically, there's always been this fear of sharing, you know, data, too much data or the right data. So there's kind of that, that, that trust element, um, you know, any thoughts or what's happening there in terms of trusting the data that you're sharing to, with other parties? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we're going to enter a new era with everything that's going on. Um, you know, we're all in this together. And, and as we think about the COVID-19 recovery um, and, and there are, I was reading an article today that, that mentioned black holes in your data, in your supply chain. 
And I think if, if you're really going to be able to understand um, your supply chain, be a good partner, um, and being able to, to do good risk assessments, you've got to be as transparent as you can. I think, you know, there's that, that perception that, of, oh, this is all very, very secret, you know, but um, I think we've got to gotta be, get beyond that and really be good partners. You know, and I think uh, the, the real big example that comes to mind for me is um, a lot in the retail and particularly the grocery industry, the whole prepaid uh, shipments coming in. And, you know, I've been on a lot of projects where we've looked at prepaid to collect conversion. But what makes that so hard is a lot of times the receiver doesn't know where it actually shipped from. And, um, you know, if, if we're going to be able to assess risk because of a particular area of the country or ge geographical region, um, well, you got to know it's coming from there to know I've got a risk if something occurs over there. Yeah, no, that's a, that, that's a great point. I mean, I think, uh, I, I think one of the, hopefully one of the outcomes from the current crisis that we're in is that it's going to spur some uh, innovation or change management, if you will, uh, you know, moving forward in terms of how to, you know, manage the supply chain logistics processes, you know, smarter, more efficiently, and more collaboratively, you know, moving forward than, than we have in the past, because, you know, these silos that we may have from a data standpoint, uh, translate into silos that we have into, in the processing standpoint. And that, that just adds friction and inefficiency and cost and, and so forth, which during normal times, you kind of sometimes get away with or you put band-aids around or it kind of gets, it kind of gets hidden in the balance sheet and P&L, if you will. But in times like these, it's when all of that efficiencies and, and cost and everything else really, you know, bubbles up to the surface and, and creates, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, challenges. Um, so, so as a way to kind of, you know, start wrapping up the conversation a little bit here. I mean, what, what are some, you know, best practices that companies can adopt to, um, you know, position themselves for success and getting the most value from some of these emerging technologies that we're hearing so much about AI, blockchain, and so forth? Yeah, I, I think you have to instill a culture of data quality at, at the absolute lowest levels. People have to understand um, the accountability for correct data and how that data is being used. Because, you know, I think the, the more you can inform people about the intent of, of what you're going to do with it, um, the, the better off that you are. And if you're really going to maximize the value in the supply chain, um, you've got to, to get the data to a place that you don't really question it. Um, you know, I think we do too much data cleanup down the road. I know when we'll do a network design, we'll spend a third of the project just cleaning up the data. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, when you think about all these emerging technologies and, and now you're going to turn all of this interpretation of the data over to a machine, um, you definitely want to be sure you're giving that machine the best information that you can because you are losing that, that little bit of human judgment as you're looking at results. You know, I, I, I love that because I mean, I think you mentioned, um, you know, kind of having a culture around, you know, data quality management. And I think that's, that's a key thing here is to kind of move away from this. You know, you, you kind of give the example of a, of a project, right? You're doing a network redesign 
and you spend a third of your time doing data cleansing. Well, if this had been a continuous business process, if it's part of the culture, right, you don't spend a third of your time cleansing the data because it's been getting cleaned and, and, and any issues that get addressed all along the way, right? So I think that's a, that's a key thing there. I mean, one of the other things that I've been, um, you know, I think it's becoming more critically important, I'd love to get your thoughts is, you know, really having this really deep down visibility, right? So we talk, there's a lot of conversation around visibility, but I think it's becoming clear that, you know, the, the deeper and the more nested that visibility is, you know, all the way down to the SKU level and building up from there, you know, that's going to provide that granularity and that richness of data to really get the most value from these, you know, emerging technologies. Do you agree? No, absolutely. And, and even as, again, as we think about this recovery, you know, companies really have to understand where are their most profitable SKUs? Which SKUs do they have the most risk? And as you look at the, the demand profile, I mean, when we, we flip out of this, the whole U.S. isn't just going to flip back on. It's going to be regional. And having visibility to those critical customers, those critical SKUs, you know, that's going to turn into a whole, you know, inventory redeployment. You know, you may want to be, you know, shifting around because the one thing you can definitely say is we're not going to be able to depend on historical patterns. You know, this is going to be all new. And so you're going to have to get down to that granular level to make good decisions. That's a, that's a great point. Uh, so, so John, just as a way to wrap up then, I mean, what advice would you give to senior leadership as it relates to leveraging data and emerging technologies to make smarter business decisions? So, you know, my biggest advice, it would be around um, having a good process, having good people that really understand how to manipulate the data so that you don't in, end up injecting any bias. And where these teams um, live that are doing this analysis, that are providing guidance, you know, that, you know, think about it. Ultimately, with a lot of these meetings, you're converting a whole lot of data into a PowerPoint presentation and asking some senior leader to go make a decision. Um, and I've seen too many times with too many companies that these presentations get filtered up through different layers, maybe potential biases. Um, and senior leaders lose some of the nuance and, and some of the, the assumptions that went into it. Um, you know, go back to um, uh, World War II and Churchill started the special operations executive um, to provide independent intelligence about what was happening. And it's not that he felt like the different branches of the military where the intelligence arms uh, lived we're going to skew things or, you know, not or lie to him or whatever, but they all interjected their own biases. So, you know, if there was a particular situation, the Royal Air Force may have, yeah, we need to use planes for this. Well, the Navy, no, we need to use ships. And so he wanted that ob objective view of his data directly. Um, so we had a, a complete picture, um, pretty unfiltered. That's a, that's a great example. I think this brings us back full circle to what something you said earlier on in the conversation where you talked about, you know, sometimes it's helpful to have a third party come in and ask those quote unquote stupid questions. Or I, I like to think of them as, you know, simple questions of why do you do it this way? Or why do you have this over here instead of over there and so forth, right? That can help uncover, you know, some of the opportunities. And I think that's another value add for an objective third party is to, you know, be able to have access to that data and be able to, you know, 
glean insights from it that maybe be, that as a third party, you're, you know, might be able to see some things uh, through a more neutral lens, if you will, uh, that perhaps folks within the four walls because of their biases, because of their limited perspective, you know, may, may see it differently. So I think that might be another area where obviously having, you know, third parties such as yourselves, you know, part of the process I think can, can help. Uh, well, John, you know, this is a very meaty topic. Uh, like I always say at the end of our conversations, you know, we could probably spend hours, you know, talking about this, but I think you provided some great insights and advice on this topic. So again, thank you for making the time to be with us. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. I want to thank those of you that uh, joined us. If you're watching this episode on demand, either at the Transportation Insights website or on Talking Logistics, and you've got a question or a comment from John, you can post it there, and I'm sure he'll be more than happy to respond via that meeting. Again, thank you for joining us, and look forward to seeing you in a future episode of Talking Logistics. Have a great day.